The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's www.adworks.com slash Bill Risser. Getting to a place where you're really clear about who you are and what you do and you believe in, like that's what actually helps you connect with clients and also your industry colleagues the most. And, you know, people can smell insincerity, insincerity and blandness on you. And I think that the, the tendency to create that sort of real estate robot, that super kind, smiling, coiffed person that everybody can sort of palate and that agrees to disagree and gets along with everybody, like it's useless. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Welcome to episode 59 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast and thank you for listening and for telling a friend or two about the show. It's how we continue to grow and, and uh, we really thank you. Um, you might want to buckle in for today's show. I I met our next guest, Marguerite Jaguer, for the first time in person this summer at Inman Connect San Francisco. She is exactly like her online persona. She's free-spirited. She's opinionated. She's also super smart, and I can't wait to have a chat with her. Welcome to the podcast, Marguerite. Thank you, Bill. Wow, that was a very like affirming start. I, I want to make sure I got us in the right place early on because I don't want to get sideways with you. I'm just being honest. So No, no. We're, we're, words of affirmation is my love language. I turn into a total pussycat with compliments. Thank Perfect. you. Excellent. <laughs> so, uh, you've probably listened to a couple of episodes, and I know that you probably listened to Ann Jones. We just had Ann from Tacoma a few weeks Absolutely. ago. Absolutely. So let's start with uh, you're a native of the Tacoma area, and so talk to me about growing up in the Pacific Northwest, what it's like, why you love it. I actually, yeah, I've, I've gotten more urban. I grew up in the middle of, um, my parents had this weird back to nature phase when I was born. I was their third kid, and they were building a house in a residential valley in the middle of a national forest. There was a nearby mountain you might have heard of, uh, Mount St. Helens, which blew shortly after while we were living there. My wow. parents are like very stubborn like me, and they didn't leave. You know, I'm sure they thought it was going to be fine. <laughs> Which it was, we all survived. Um, but that's kind of where I started, like in the woods. And it, with, you know, it was one of those things like people talk about like, oh, you know, in the olden days, you know, we'd just let the kids out and tell them to come back before sundown. And it was kind of like that, you know, like my parents didn't know where I was all day. We were running around building tree forts and climbing trees and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, now I live in a city and stay out of nature as much as possible. But I, I did my time in a proper Northwest way when I was young. <laughs> right. So uh, talk about Tacoma a little bit while we're, we're going to talk about it more, but tell me what you love about Tacoma. Well, you know, growing up, Tacoma was not a place I was allowed to come. You know, like a lot of cities um, in the 60s, the downtown businesses all left for the mall. And, you know, everything that was developed in the 70s and 80s was sort of like, parking garages with bridges into corporate buildings. Like there was no main floor retail. There was no sort of life on the streets at all. And it became a really 
dismal place. And um, they started to turn it around in the late 80s and early 90s. They placed a university downtown. They started rehabbing historic structures. And so as I was starting to go to high school, I, I went to high school for my last two years in Tacoma because I grew up again out in the country, like mm -hmm. 45 minutes out. And so my last two years, I went to high school and drove into Tacoma and uh, just to see like, oh, coffee shops in the middle of a city. Like that was really cool, you know, and uh, that's kind of that's kind of the direction we've been going. And now, I mean, the, the reputation we have within the region is sort of like Tacoma, you know, that stinky port city like what and you know Tacoma's been getting awesome for a long time so it's 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 exciting to have people notice notice us and it's also sort of a little like please like we've been awesome all along <laughs> I love I love the way you support support it so well that's great you have a really cool story to tell I think that you spent some time like not just a semester but a year or two in Italy as a student, was this your high school years or was this, tell me, how did this work? Yeah. So we were living in the suburbs and um, I was going to uh, like a, basically a rural high school, like they called it Cow Pie High. And we had Channel One. I don't know if you know what that is, but in the 90s, it was like Anderson Cooper was the, was the anchor. It was like teen anchors and it was like the news for kids. Wow. And they had a commercial and it was this like young, it was like amazing marketing. It was like this young girl walking through a forest in South America while the B-52s Rome played. It was like, become an exchange student. And I was like, that, that's, I want to do that. And so like my parents were like, yeah, good luck because that's a zillion dollars and we don't have that kind of money. So I was able to get a scholarship and then did some like letter writing to local businesses to help pick up most of the rest of the costs so that they didn't have to. I have a lot of siblings and it's a pretty big family, so the, the money was not there for a year abroad in Europe in a traditional way. So we kind of had to hustle that. And I was 15. I was supposed to go to Germany, but Germans are very like strict on time. And so it turned out I was two weeks too young. So I'd spent the year studying German to go to Germany. And then right before I left, they're like, yeah, you can either go to Italy or Egypt. And my mom was like, you're going to Italy. Like Egypt is not on the table. So <laughs> I went to Italy with no Italian training, not knowing very much about Italy. I thought it was going to be like all gondolas and palm trees. I really had no idea what it was going to be like. And I ended up actually in the Tacoma of northern Italy, a textile city called Biella, um, which is a place where all the sort of like the fashion designers kids live. It's like outside of Turin and Milan. And I came in like 90s grunge clothes thinking I was very cool. And... Yeah, no, not so much. I learned a lot that year. <laughs> Ten years old in in with the fashion kids. <laughs> wow! And you're bringing uh, Nirvana over. <laughs> to, uh, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> exactly, exactly. Tell me how your Italian is. Abbastanza bene ancora. Yeah, it's still pretty good. <laughs> That's excellent. I'm sure you picked it up pretty quickly, right? At that age, at least, you had no choice but to kind of figure it out. I was actually the worst in my group, Bill. And this is just like, this is the story of my life over and over again. I learn everything the hard way. Like, I was so lucky. I got strep throat and I was sick and couldn't go to school. And the Mormon missionaries came. And American Mormon missionaries are in Italy and were in my town. And they invited me to Thanksgiving dinner and we became friends. And they gave me this giant purple book that they called The Purple Dragon. It was like four months into my trip. I was not learning at all. And uh, it was Mormon for missionaries. And... That was how I learned. I could talk about like Joseph Smith and stuff. It was crazy. <laughs> you were, awesome. Was it the? <laughs> so then, then I started listening to like Italian rap music, and that's how I learned. Because since then, I've taken Spanish and French, and 
you know, when you're trying to learn a language, if you can find like the cheesiest teenage pop music with the most repetitive verses, like that is the fastest way to learn the language. That is my language learning pro tip because I am actually not innately talented at languages. I learned it the long, hard way. Once again, the hard way. Okay, good. So, the hard way. Always the hard way. This will be a recurring theme. All right. Oh, you got it. So, <laughs> so you come back, you finish high school. Um, was real estate on your radar? I'm gonna. I'm just gonna guess no, but maybe somehow no. somewhere in your family was there, right? So what what did you want to do when you were uh, growing up? You know, um, I my parents hated. Well, I I say like my, I don't know that my mom never had much of an opinion. My parents bought and sold some houses, and my dad hated realtors. And um, I was really, my dad's an electrical contractor, and he would always say that realtors hated tradespeople and didn't respect them, which I think is probably kind of true. You know, it's, it's something that's been in my awareness as I work with tradespeople in the business, is how, we, how, how disposable they can be to us. And um, so I think he, and, you know, he didn't go to college, and so there was like a kind of a mistrust of people selling him on things he didn't understand. And I think I inherited that. And um, I was married a thousand years ago in my early 20s, and my ex-husband and I, we bought our first house when we were 24, and my realtor was my high school friend who'd gotten his license when he was 19. His dad was the president of a local real estate company, and he got right into it. And then we bought another house as an investment, and again, we're like 25, 26 at this time, because it's it's the booming mid-2000s, and that's what everybody was doing. Sure. And he was like, you should you should get your real estate license. And at that time I was hanging sheetrock. Like I had had like 15 jobs since high school. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't, I, I, I kind of tried to go to college, but I'm really bad at um, group work and homework. And it just wasn't looking likely to be where I was going to end up succeeding. <laughs> but uh, let me get back for a second. You said hanging sheetrock. So yeah. you're, you're taping off the wall, doing the whole thing. You're doing the, you had it all going. Wow. Yeah. Well, so after high school, like I thought I was going to be a flight attendant and like, cause I'd taken language lessons and I thought, well, you know, that's the easiest thing to do, you know, where you get to travel and speak foreign languages. And I started with an airline with Southwest. Actually, I worked at the ticket counter when I was 19, but I burned out on that really fast. And so I had like basically a different job every year, like working for REI in the call center, selling hundred dollar car wax to like rich guys with Porsches on the internet, like all these different jobs. And at some point I ended up at NPR, a local NPR affiliate, which was a really impactful experience as far as, you know, just like being an exchange student, like your entire worldview changes. Working for a news organization, you know, your entire worldview can be changed by that as well. So I worked for three years, first in customer service and then in marketing. And I burned out so much on being nice to people that I took a job in sheetrock. <laughs> Where you could take out your aggression on the sheetrock. It was great. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I mean, you know, it was a union job and you know, with the union, you know, they have a, like a, a path that you follow. So it was like, okay, here's this girl with like no muscles at all, but there's a training program. And so I got in and as an apprentice and you know, over that year I had been learning how to frame and learning how to hang. And that's when my friend and the realtor was just like, what are you doing with your life? You are not a sheet rocker. Yeah, so that's that could be a that's a great name of a band. You are not a sheet rocker. <laughs> Do you end up joining his company? You go through get your license and join that company and become a realtor. I did. So he was like my first work husband. So like Ann now is my work wife. Craig Bergstrom was my first work husband. And I mean, you know, we did we weren't a team. Even te the concept of a team hadn't really penetrated Spanaway, Washington, where I was living. Like I I didn't know much about that. But he, you know. 
we shared an office and he guided me a lot. He'd worked in escrow also, so he had a lot of understanding of the transaction. So he was a good, good friend to have as I was getting started. And he was so great. He was like, look, I know I'm going to lose half my clients. Like, you should be doing this. And I mean, in retrospect, so many years down the road, like, it was an incredibly generous thing that he did. And he's not in real estate anymore. He's actually working in one of the call centers that I worked with. He's a supervisor at one of the jobs I had <laughs> in my early 20s, which is kind of a fun switcheroo. But um, yeah, he was he was amazing. And it was the saddest thing ever to lose him during the downturn. You know, he had a couple of kids and he was married and he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna fight that three year fight that we had to fight. At least in our area it was very bad. Let's talk about what you're doing now. You're, uh, you have an amazing website, movetotacoma.com. And I looked at it and it was digging through it and it's loaded with content, tons of stuff to help buyers and sellers, you know, about the process. You even got a great, you know, renters resource page, which I, I have never seen that down here. I've never seen one realtor ever promote renting, which I think is huge. Those, those eventually could turn into customers and so uh, on a purchase, right? But talk about what your thought process was with that particular website. Well, it was about um, 2016. So it was about two years ago. Um, I had gone away to on a really amazing vacation. Like the market had kind of come back and I came home from that vacation as often happens. And like, I was like, oh, like work. You know, like it just didn't feel good. Like I was like, you know, and I and it, poor Ann Jones. By now, Ann Jones is my work wife, and she had to just listen to me whine because I was so like, just like, oh, this is really, it's getting kind of boring, and like I want to shake things up. And she just had to listen to me. I remember we went to Worth Shop in Maui to that conference there that Hawaii Life puts on, which is an amazing conference. And I just remember being so discouraged and just feeling like none of this is resonating with me. I need to do something different. And she was like, oh my gosh, just go make something. Go make anything. Like I go finish something because I'm not excited unless I'm making something new. And the idea behind Move to Tacoma was to have a website that was totally community based. So I had a blog that I started in 2008 called Get Real Tacoma, which is like a very traditional real estate blog talking about listings, talking about, you know, market stats and neighborhoods and things like that and call to action, you know, contact me if you'd like to buy this house, like very traditional. And the idea behind Move to Tacoma as, as, as Get Real Tacoma had become successful, it was generating really more business than I could handle on my own. And the traditional sort of idea in real estate is that you start to build a team at this point. Like you get your buyer's agent, then you get your listing coordinator, and then one day, magically, you're just up here like puppet mastering the whole transaction and you don't have to do any of it anymore. And it sounded really nice, but also not at all like what I wanted to do. So the idea with Move to Tacoma was to create a website that would attract people but not necessarily attract people to me as their realtor which is kind of a weird it's it, it's a hard thing to explain to people right like the first feedback I got when I launched the website you know it's it's neighborhood focused so it's all neighborhood content like lots of neighborhood pages with median prices and you know where the architecture and what the neighbors are saying and all these kinds of things and and realtors were calling me and just being like your name's not even on this like I can't even tell you're a realtor. Like, this is not going to work. And is it even Department of Licensing compliant? And, like, I was getting all of this kind of feedback. And so I actually sent it to the DOL. <laughs> I was like, if you have a problem with this, please let me know now because I don't want to be, like, fielding calls from realtors forever. Because it was that weird looking. You know, there was not – there wasn't any IDX. There wasn't any contact form. And my, my thought was that it would take about a year to kind of get the SEO to start working. And in the meantime, I'd have Get Real Tacoma. But this idea was to sort of build this website that would attract people into sort of a, a community. And then from there, 
I could, you know, when they'd contact me, I could connect them with the right real estate agent for them. Is this making sense? Totally. I, I think that explains too the the podcast portion to that website, right? Your move to Tacoma yes. podcast is built on that same premise. You're talking to very local people, community-based people in Tacoma, talking about Tacoma. And when you do a search for Tacoma, your site's coming up. Yay. It happened <laughs> faster than I thought. And, and actually, the, the podcast was, was a ploy at first. It was not, uh, it was not again, like I don't, I don't think of this stuff on purpose. Like the podcast was designed purely for SEO. I was like, if I could do 10 interviews with a podcast that I embedded in blog posts and did those interviews with like the mayor and like popular people, those people would share the posts and then people would click on my website and Google would learn that I have a good website. Like that's, that was my intention in the beginning. I didn't think anyone would actually, I don't know, I guess I thought I'd hoped people would listen to it, but I didn't think as many people would listen to it as do. So, you know, within, I think the first 12 months we had 10,000 downloads which was wow. a lot. I mean, the average for an episode is over 500 and that's really good, I think. And that's excellent. I, I think sometimes just that idea of like, they're, they're all people who are very interested in the community. It's not like when you're like, yo, my web, my blog gets 10,000 hits a month. And you're like, who are those people? Like, are they reading your recipe card posts? Like, what are they there for? You know, these are all people that are interested in Tacoma in moving to Tacoma or in staying in Tacoma. A lot of our listeners and readers are local. So the idea was just, you don't have to talk about real estate. People figure out what you do and they reach out, which is still something that I'm really blown away by how well it works. At Inman this summer, at Inman Connect in San Francisco, Gary V gets on stage and he drew a pretty good audience for that early in the morning. I think you were there, right? I was there. Yeah. And, when, and I'm sure you were, you wanted to just jump up and scream, hell yeah, when he said, <laughs> build, build a media company, then be a realtor. Because yeah. that's what you're doing. I actually... Bill, I kind of like fluffed my hair. I'm not going to lie. It was like, that's right. <laughs> because nice. I get so much of the time people are like, oh, that's really interesting what you do, but what's the ROI on that? And that just seems like a waste of time. And nobody can really do any of that stuff. And maybe that works for you, but it doesn't work for anybody else. And, you know, it's, it doesn't, it, it often feels like this isn't a legitimate way to prospect, you know, and I, I've been really gratified to finally have the sales numbers because it seems like people in real estate don't really listen to anything else. And so to finally have the numbers there, to, to have the, the closed transactions there to say this is legitimate, and also it's really affirming. Like it's very like high integrity to, to, to practice real estate in this way. Yeah, the and to have Gary Vaynerchuk up there saying be a media company was very affirming also. Yeah, so, so the, the Marguerite from Hawaii is not the Marguerite we're talking to today. It sounds like you're in a much no, better place. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but you know, my therapist would tell you, Bill, that I work in cycles, and I think a lot of salespeople are like this. I'm just going to, like, throw it out there that, you know, like, you have these periods of incredibly high energy. Like, you're very creative, and, you know, you have the energy to implement or to work with lots of clients, and then you sort of, like, crash. And not everybody works. You know, some people are more like waves, and some people are more like, I guess, like mountains with, like, tremendous values. And I'm more like a mountain person, and Ann Jones probably knows this better than anybody else of my acquaintance. But, you know, when you are in a creative space to be very productive and don't spend all of that time, I don't know, I, I don't even know, uh, there's a million ways to misuse our time in real estate, but like to, to be planting seeds that will grow and not just wasting it on maybe door knocking or cold calling, which are effective prospecting methods, but they don't necessarily regenerate, right? right? We're writing a blog post, creating a video, starting a podcast. These things are things that like they're working for me while I sleep. And it's very, it, it just it has a snowball effect that I think is unique within prospecting methods. It's more like 
I'm, I, I know it's working when I'm getting lots of contacts. You know, my contact forms on the website, like people use them. And the other call to action is to text me. So people text or email me. People rarely call me, which is awesome because I'm not much on the phone. And it's, it's really, that, that's how I know I'm, I'm doing a good job. And right now, like I'm kind of pulling back and I'm a little tired. So I'm working on expanding all the neighborhood pages for the websites. We have like 10 completed and the rest say coming soon and they have for like a year and a half and I'm starting to feel pretty terrible about it. So I went out with a photographer and we took pictures of all these other communities and I ran the market stats for all these different neighborhoods so I can start building these new pages, but that takes effort. And yep. again, I think a lot of people would be like, well, just delegate that. Like, where's your person in India that does that for you? But, you know, I mean, I grew up in Spanaway. I can make a really amazing Spanaway page. Plus, I kind of like it, and I'm tired. So I'm focusing <laughs> on that aspect of, of building my business right now. And, you know, for us, selling season has been starting in January and February. And you have to have a lot of energy going into that time period. So to be able to be doing really like uh, business building activities that don't require so much emotional energy, which for me, helping buyers requires a lot of emotional energy. Like it's a way to kind of like regroup and get ready for the next big push and to have all of that content, all that fresh, juicy content ready for all those people that are resolving to buy or sell, you know, in, in the coming year. Is part of that content also include Ann Jones and some more video work? Always. Ann Jones is an essential part. Like, you know, I didn't do any video. What, no, I, I, did, I did a few, like, little, like, Q&A type videos without Ann. And it's, I, every now and again, I'll make a video without Ann, and I always miss her. Like, we, we, we do our best work together, I think, when it comes to faces on camera. <laughs> so that's the only way to do it. We, we've been talking about a bunch of new projects that we'd like to do. But, again, it's like finding the time, carving it out, batching it, and getting it done. It's always the the implementation, right? I mean, you're you're an idea. I think it's in your one of your bios somewhere. You're an idea gal. Is that what you put? Yes. Idea gal. Yeah, on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the implementation part that takes that energy and that time, and yeah, it's got to make it fit somehow. The big, I think, the biggest change that I made with Move to Tacoma was about nine months in. I hired a content writer to help because I am so like boom and bust with my energy. And it, the, the, I think the biggest lesson people can learn from me is that you can be a very inconsistent implementer and still be successful with content marketing if your content is good. Like, don't let the fact that you can't do it every week stop you from doing it at all. Because all, any content is, even inconsistent, is, is better than no content and no good, juicy, like, personal content like that, that comes from your mind. And ha adding a writer was an expense that I was afraid of. And it really was the best investment I made in the website. And so she interviews me every the beginning of the month, and we talk about all the different things she's going to write about. And I'll be like, you should write a blog post about what the best decks to drink on in the summer. And she's like, great, what decks do you drink on? And she'll like take notes, and then she'll go do the research, and she'll find the photos, and she'll put it all together. And she's a great writer, and so it all looks great. And, and Or she'll call me, and she'll be like, hey, we should write a blog post about eight, re eight signs it's time to leave Seattle and move to Tacoma. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Do that, you know, and then she'll draft it all up and then she'll post it and she'll put it on Facebook and she'll boost it and she'll tweet it and she'll make a cute little image in Canva and put it on Instagram. And like, that's been like kind of my first experience with successfully delegating. And I think for that kind of stuff, like it's been really worth it. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I'm going to be kind of blunt here. And I, I, and I don't think that bothers you. <laughs> so <No>. you're, <laughs> you are very opinionated. In fact, one of my favorite MM moments of all time is that walk. 
And that's all we'll call it, that walk. It was so fun talking to you. And and, and you do not shy <laughs> away from taking a side. And I think most agents tend to remain more neutral and, you know, don't ruffle the feathers, don't rock the boat. Why is that not for you? Well, I think um, it's, I'm experienced, first of all. It's, I, I'm, I have an 11-year career, so I have a full pipeline, which helps with the mouthiness. Like, if you're terrified that everything you see is going to scare away your one customer, it's harder to be, you know, it's harder to feel confident about what you're saying all the time. You're, you're going to be more careful. So having a full pipeline has been very freeing. And I think within the industry, um, I, I don't know if you mean, like, on my, like, personal Facebook where I am, like, very political or if you mean, like, at conferences. <laughs> oh, it's a little bit of both, right? Because my guess is on your Facebook profile, um, you're friends with a lot of clients. My guess is you're not, mm -hmm. you're not keeping yes. it restricted. You're very open. So it kind of covers both. Yes. I think, you know, in my life I've learned, like, when I, when I have to um, pretend like things are different than they are, things don't work very well. And in real estate, I'd say for, like, the first five years, I was always trying to look like someone that I wasn't, like, look more professional. Like, I'm, I still have, like, my first little business plan that I made in Publisher, and there's, like, a little clip art of a business lady with a briefcase, and it's like, I will be a CPA-esque advisor. Like, please. Like, nobody, no client I've ever had has thought of me that way. Like, that's that's not what people come to me for. And I think, like, getting to a place where you're really clear about who you are and what you do and you believe in, like, that's what actually helps you connect with clients and also your industry colleagues the most. And, you know, people can smell insincerity and blandness on you. And I think that the, the tendency to create that sort of real estate robot, that super kind, smiling, coiffed, person that everybody can sort of palette and that agrees to disagree and gets along with everybody like it's useless we have you know we have a lot of challenges in our industry that we need to kind of start taking a hard look at and we can't do that if we're all pretending that we all get along all the time and does that make I don't know maybe that's not the right thing to say no I like I said, there are a few of you running around out there in the national kind of space that I that I really love listening to I love the fact that you have this opportunity to be yourself. You know, the, the, the word be authentic is out there all the time. Lee Brown's book, Outrageous Authenticity, right? That's the Absolutely. kind of thing that I think is so valuable and so um, underutilized in the biz. So I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of yours is what I'm trying to say. So it's great. Well, I think, you know, for me, like, I think the next stage of professional growth when it comes to being outspoken is I think, you know, we're in the midst of the Trump thing right now, whenever anybody might be listening to this. But right now it's, you know, there's more to, to being direct and being outspoken than just hurting people's feelings or shocking people, right. you know. And, and I think that's something that I try to be really conscious of. And, you know, there are things, I, you know, when I reflect back on Inman this this summer, like I'm like, oh, you know, in retrospect, I might have done that differently. I might have said that differently. And going forward, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn from that and I'm gonna do that differently. And it's not that I don't want to say what I mean, and I definitely don't have a problem with upsetting people, but I don't want to be a person that's like just trying to make it a point a point with shock value. And I think that that's kind of the trend sometimes, at least at the conference level, it seems like that there is I don't think that there's anything left that we can do that's shocking relating to, you know swearing or you know, I think we've hit peak swear. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. But I know you'll have an answer for this question. Give me your biggest pet peeve in the business right now, in the real estate industry. Mm, I'm afraid I have to be very serious, Bill. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, I, I think, 
You know, I think the challenge right now is I, I, I'm, and this is very personal because I, I'm really learning a lot about the history of real estate and the history of institutionalized racism in real estate. I know, you know, we all take the same real estate test and they're like, don't steer and don't redline because in the olden days we used to be super racist and now we can't do that and it's against the law. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. You know, I started real estate in 2005. Certainly no one's racist anymore. And then, you know, it's been kind of a journey in the last couple of years, you know, as everything's been happening in the country to find out, you know, how housing policies have impacted communities of color in our country. And, you know, this is a controversial thing to talk about, as you say, you know, and it shouldn't be, you know. So when uh, Teresa Boardman wrote an article at Inman about white privilege, and I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, we're going to talk about this. This is so exciting. And then it was like 150 comments of, what are you talking about? Real estate's not racist. You're a racist. Like, it was the most basic conversation. And it was very discouraging because I feel like the, the dialogue around race and you know social justice issues in real estate, which is very important. Housing in America is at the heart of who we are. And I feel like our conversation is in the 80s. So that's, I mean, that, if you, is that a pet peeve? I don't well, know. Well, absolutely. I'm not an expert. I'm still learning, but this is what's driving me nuts right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll put you on the spot. What's the answer? I think for me, I can only speak for myself, but for me, it's to, to get smart. You know, I've already said, you know, I didn't attend a university. So it could be that a lot of people in real estate have a lot of education around housing and the history of racism in America that I don't have, but I don't have it. So I've been reading a lot of books. Twitter is an amazing place to engage. And I think we all just need to start listening. You know, real estate is 85% white. So the, the first thing we need to do is like stop listening to each other <laughs> because we're all mostly white people. You know, the leadership certainly is white and male. And, you know, so we have to start engaging with people outside our industry on what what we might need to start thinking about if we want to be more inclusive and if we want to start telling the truth about, you know, what's happening. I had a, a guest on my podcast, uh, Nate Bowling, who was the Washington State Teacher of the Year, who is a number one client of Anne's. And, um, you know, he, he said the word segregation when we talked about housing. And I was like, ooh big word to use, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. And then the more you think about it, you're like, yeah, you know, and we, you know, our clients use coded language, like, you know, schools and all kinds of things, but they segregate themselves. You go to any city in America and everybody's sorting out and that's not 2016, you know, that's not the kind of country we want to live in. And realtors are on the front line of that and we don't, we don't talk about it. We just kind of help people do what they want to do. Let me, um, let me ask you this. We were at San Francisco together. Give me your biggest takeaway from uh, Inman Connect this year. I think personally, like last year coming out of San Francisco, I remember just being like community marketing. Like that's a thing. Like we weren't exactly talking about it, but I was just like, this thing I'm doing with Move to Tacoma, this is it. This is it. Like I can tell like everybody's going to be doing this. And people, and, and then this year on stage, it's like, you know, be a media company, which, you know, of course I interpret to validate what I do and he might not have meant exactly what we're doing, but like podcasting and blogging and community-based content, you know? And so coming out of Inman this year, I'm thinking about um, sort of, I mean, I'm thinking about what I just talked about. Like I'm thinking about the conversation around race and diversity and women and leadership and how sort of ill-prepared we are as an industry to have it. And so I'm, 
I kind of came home and just started reading tons of articles. At first, actually, I, I wanted to get in fights on Facebook. And then I matured into reading lots of articles and, and, and figuring out, like, how does this apply to housing? Just today, there was a New York Times article about Airbnb completely reevaluating the way that they hire and their policies for hosts on their properties because Airbnb, as turns out, accidentally is super racist. Like, black people can't get rooms on Airbnb. That's crazy. And, and I was excited by it. I saw it and I was like, I don't know if the stuff they're doing is going to work. But they, I think, are the first people in housing to, to talk about this. And, you know, so for me, leaving Inman, you know, Brad put, they had a diversity panel on stage, like how to attract people of color into the industry. I was like, oh my God, this is happening. This is so exciting. And there was Leslie Ebersole talking about women in leadership, which a lot of people did not react well to. And, um, you know, so that's good too, because, you know, when you see that there's friction, you see that there's work to do. And so I think it's, it's not exactly a tech tip, right? But I just came out feeling like this is a, a moment in time, like our industry is ready to start having a conversation, even if it gets a little ugly for a while. Can't you in Tacoma be that voice, you know, with your blog and you know, the video work you're doing? You have that opportunity, right? Yeah, I mean, the blog was a real gift to me, the, the move to Tacoma site, because I thought I was just the best making this site where I was like, I'm going to be this resource for my community, and everyone's going to move here, and everyone's going to say how awesome I am. And then local people reacted really badly to the site because they were like, uh, our rents are going up, housing prices are going up, Tacoma is in, uh, Seattle is in an actual housing crisis. Their, 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 their home price, 45 minutes north, is twice ours. So they're 600000 and we're like 285. So they don't want what's happening up there to happen here. And they were like, you're a jerk. You're a gentrifier. You're ruining our city. Like, stop your website. And I was like, what? Me? I'm like, amazing. How could this be? And it, it, it was a humbling experience. Like, I had a lot of coffees with people I'd never met before and talk to a lot of friends about things we'd never talked to with each other before. And it's that's been kind of the catalyst for me to learn about this stuff and to come back to the industry and go, oh, wow, like, if this conversation is happening, I can't find it. Because it's happening in my city, which is a really diverse working class city, but I don't see it on the stage, you know, because, you know, they're not talking about this at million dollar listing, right? Probably <laughs> we, we love to not. talk about, <laughs> yeah. Probably. The ideal real estate life is a perfect, rich, you know, meritocracy. And I don't think that's the reality for most of our clients. I've had you here. No, that's <laughs> I've had you here for over half an hour. So that's what I asked you for. So let me, let me fit, wrap up with the same question I've asked the previous 58 guests on the podcast. That is, what is one piece of advice you would give an agent just getting started in the business? I feel like there's like a part of me that just wants to like say what every broker says, which is like show up. Um, but beyond showing up and like being at the office and like doing the job, I'd say um, not losing yourself. Don't waste a lot of time trying to become somebody else to get clients. Cause I think the more, the biggest lesson I've learned is the more I'm myself, um, the more my people can find me and the transactions are better and life is better and your real estate friends are better and, all it, everything's better the whole thing is better if you can be yourself marguerite you're very open i'm sure that uh, you would welcome people commenting and, and trying to reach out to you so what's the best way for them to get in touch with you if they've listened to this and they want to ask you more yes always i I'm, I'm very easy to find on the googles my name is marguerite jaguer which is impossible to spell so you if you search for the skydiving agent or um 
you know, Marguerite Tacoma on the Googles, you will find me, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you are, I probably am. I like the internet. Thank you so much for, uh, for giving us some time today. I really enjoyed this episode. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bill. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about The Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.